your noontime look at the financial world. What's trending in Chicago business? The midday numbers. John has the Trust Business Lunch. Now. Money, 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 money. It's 12.08. This is WGN Radio's Trust Business Lunch. Ashley Byhun's producing the Biz Lunch today with an assist from Pete Zimmerman, or is it the other way around? Good to have you here. This is John Williams. Lots of ground to cover today, including what's happening with the markets. We'll always start with something along those lines. We'll also talk about reasons or ways that employers are encouraging employees to come back to the office. That's an ongoing topic. And craft brewing and the delivery of craft brews are all on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Farron Dogs joins us now, CFP and founder and CEO at the Harrison Wallace Financial Group. Let's uh, cover some ground on the markets today. First of all, what's going on today and what has the week been like, Farron? How do you score it? Uh, hey, John, how are you? Good. Um, well, you know, I'm not surprised. I think some of the data that is coming in is, again, once again focused on interest rates and what the Federal Reserve is going to do. Um, some of these numbers are coming in a lot stronger than expected. You know, the consumer the consumer has continued to be pretty strong with retail numbers up uh, pretty significantly last um, last month. And, you know, that just puts everyone in a state of, oh, my gosh, the Federal Reserve is still going to continue to raise rates, and we thought they'd be done in March. So I think it's a a little bit of, you know, obviously a give back, but it just adds uh, to the uncertainty of how long the Fed will remain hawkish. And I think that's we're seeing a little bit of that gain that we saw in January uh, some of that's just being taken off the table right now as people are like, oh, maybe things aren't going to be moving forward as quickly as we had hoped. Sounds like 25 basis points is the new 75 basis points. At one point, we were happy <laughs> to see 25, but but now that's not enough. We want it to go the other direction, don't we? Yes, it seems that way. And, you know, I think the expectation was that we would have this quarter basis point um, in March, and then then the Fed would kind of uh, step back and just kind of see how things were gonna were gonna uh, formulate. And now I think there is a concern that maybe they will continue to be, um, you know, aiming for a higher number. And um, not that they've necessarily come out to say that, but you know, with the PPI numbers coming out today, they were a little hotter than expected. Maybe inflation isn't um, isn't um, subsiding as much as we thought. But I want to read you a headline here. PPI reports suggest hardest part of inflation battle is won, according to Comerica. The January producer price index, a measure of inflation, came in higher than expected Thursday, sending equities lower. It may signal, though, that the worst is behind the U.S. in terms of bringing inflation down, according to John Lynch, the the chief investment officer there. Today's wholesale Mm -hmm. inflation data, coupled with the CPI report, suggests that the easy battles against the price pressure have been won. So what is he talking about there? Um, well, I think the expectation was, you know, energy energy prices have, in fact, come down. Some of the commodity prices have, in fact, come down from where they were a year ago. And I, I think because all of that is involved in, the, in that PPI number, that was the expectation. But 
And we are starting to see the supply chains again continue to come back in line and, you know, the output costs have declined. Um, I think the, the uncertainty, though, is, you know, with China coming back online after their lockdowns and COVID, what will the true cost of energy end up at? Are we going to see a continued increase there? Is it costing more for these companies to get their hands on goods and, and raw materials such as uh, precious metals that are involved in the in the manufacturing of many products? You know, transportation costs are higher than than what they were pre-COVID, obviously. So um, I, I'd love to see that that is, in fact, the case, but I'm not convinced that it is um, because I think we are starting to see, you know, the cost of the goods is, is still going up for the manufacturer. They cannot carry that through to the consumer necessarily, and we'll probably continue to see some some compression on on margins for companies, which will affect earnings. So... Not to be a downer, but <laughs> I'm just I'm just being realistic about you know what what some of the costs uh, of manufacturing these goods continues to be in this higher inflation environment. Yeah, I mean that number is real. There therein lies the actual impact. Farron Dogs mm-hmm. is the CFP and founder and CEO of the Harrison Wallace Financial Group. Okay, Farron, it's always good to talk to you. Thanks for your thoughts today. You too, John. We're talking to Joan Salzman now a senior reporter at CNET. This and other reporting at CNET.com. Joan, how are you today? I'm great. How are you doing, John? Pretty good. Uh, What is the Ultra from iPhone all about? (laughs) I don't know this Apple product. That's totally fair because it doesn't officially exist yet. There's a report, though, that, you know, so Apple, the most recent Apple line is the um, iPhone 14. And so that includes iPhone 14, 14 Plus, the 14 Pro, and the 14 Pro Max. What Bloomberg has reported is that Apple may add a new iPhone to its lineup next year, and that would be the iPhone Ultra. So if you don't have enough suffixes, there may be a new iPhone suffix for you to figure out whether or not you want to pay and buy for that. Do they come out? How often do they come out with a new iPhone? It's a year. Usually they reveal them in the fall of every year and then make them available shortly thereafter. So where does this line up then? Is this sort of somewhere in between the 14 and the 15? Or what is this, the Ultra? Yeah, so the Ultra, if, if, it, if it's accurate and they are going to introduce an Ultra phone, it would mean that the next um, lineup of iPhones, iPhone 15 presumably, um, would include an even fancier version than what the iPhone currently um, offers. You know, this is something Apple discussed the idea of launching an even more expensive phone um, above the iPhone Pro Max as part of the family, sort of like the the big granddaddy of of iPhone. And CEO Tim Cook, he's talked about how he thinks people are willing to stretch their budgets to get the very best products. That's what he said on the last Apple earnings call. And, And to his credit, you know, it's true. Apple's most expensive, more expensive iPhones, they do tend to sell well. Still, if, I mean, they just came out with a 14. My dad just got a 14. My wife just got a 14. It was not inexpensive. And <laughs> so yeah. how did, it, but we do, we've done this for 14 generations, right? Where they say, okay, here's the latest, greatest thing. And then the next year they go, yeah, not so much. You need the two and the three and the four. But what mm-hmm. does the Ultra do that this latest one doesn't? 
Well, that's unclear. So we probably won't, if, if the Ultra is something that Apple pursues, we won't get an official look at it probably until um, this fall, which is when Apple reveals its latest lineup of, of iPhones. But we have seen that Apple has been trying to distinguish its more expensive iPhones from its lower priced ones with uh, screen size, camera, and then other things like, if you recall, that dynamic island feature that kind of replaced the notch um, on the lower-end iPhones. That's something that's only available on Pro models. So they are in, incorporating some sort of software and user interface elements that are unique to the more expensive phones as well. Speaking of Apple, talk to me about the AR-VR headset. Yes, Apple's longtime ghost. It's a long rumored device, uh, a VR, a, an augmented reality slash virtual reality headset. It was previously expected to come out early this year, um, maybe even as early as April. But also, according to Bloomberg, it's now not expected to make its debut until maybe June at the earliest. Um, you know, this has been something that people have been really interested in what Apple's going to do, especially after Meta slash Facebook went so hardcore into the idea of mixed reality, mixed reality and the metaverse. But it's definitely a long time coming. I feel like we've been hearing about the possible Apple VR AR headset for years now. This is going to be the future, though, right? I remember, I mean, every now and then there have been some misses. They had the... Um, um, computer on your glasses or a phone or a camera thing on your glasses that didn't seem to go anywhere. But these headsets are the future, right? This is not going to be a miss, is it? Well, certainly a lot of people believe Mark Zuckerberg, head of Meta, he's said that virtual reality, augmented reality is the next era of computing, leaving, you know, going from desktop computers to mobile devices and that um, a metaverse headset, augmented reality, virtual reality realm is the next era that computer computing is going. But I think that we've also seen that there have been a lot of hurdles to getting AR and VR devices. When we're talking about headsets that you wear on your face, the technology isn't at a point yet. We're, we're not living in an era where it's like Minority Report, where you can, like, move things and navigate your screens just by, like, throwing your arms and waving them in the air. We're not at that point yet, and the technology is not at that point yet, where people are really buying into it on a massive scale. So Apple jumping into the fray, even with what is expected to be a really expensive product, would lend some credence to the idea that it is something that will become the future of computing. Give me the quick headline on Amazon's Zooks, Z-O-O-X. <laughs> yeah, that's Amazon's self-driving taxis. These are different than what... Many people think of when they think of self-driving cars. These are, they kind of almost look like um, like a tram compartment. Yeah. They don't have steering wheels. They don't have a front. They have a back. But Amazon's Zooks has started driving these driverless taxis on public roads with passengers as of last week. How's that working out for them? Well, we haven't heard about any crashes, so that's good, but it is very early. It is interesting because this Duke being different than these other ideas, you know, like a Tesla sort of idea of, you know, full self-driving mode beta where you would be sitting in the car, but you wouldn't have. These are really designed as taxis where it's not a personally owned vehicle. It's a ride share or a ride hailing sort of device, which can be really interesting if it does work out after these tests. Z-O-O-X. Joan Salzman, senior reporter at CNET.com. Nice to talk to you, Joan. Thanks for your help today. Thanks, John.
from Reiki Interiors. Colleen Bader joins us now. That's Reiki Interiors. She's a senior vice president and the co-owner of a business that's tapped in pretty well, it sounds like, to other businesses. Hi, Colleen. You're on WGN. Hi. Thanks for having me. Tell me what you all do. So Reiki is a design-build manufacturing firm in Elgin. So we have interior designers, and then we manufacture millwork and commercial furniture. Give me an example of something you've made that I've seen in an office then. So a reception desk, private office furniture, um, millwork, like cabinetry in a break room, all of that we manufacture in Elgin. We have a 150,000-square-foot facility. Is it custom-made then? Yeah, pretty much every project is by, you know, the details of what that client needs. We do have standard items that most of our clients ask for, but we do every project is unique for each client. Who do you sell to? We sell mostly directly to end users. Um, Our key markets are probably um, companies that are 100 and under employees. But we do have some large clients. Wintrust is one of our clients that we've been working with for many, many years. Um, and then we do have some national accounts that we work with. I was wondering, do you sell locally or are people buying your stuff all over? 85% of it is local. We have secured some national accounts this year. So um, we do go all over the country. We have an uh, actual salesperson in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and one in central Illinois in Bloomington. How are you doing relative to the um, supply chain stuff? Are you guys back to normal in terms of getting supplies? Yes, I would say that's a big thing. In the last probably three months, the supply chain has improved dramatically. We were having issues getting um, bases, like table bases and and seating and all of that. Um, But now that is really back to normal. Our lead times for our products are typically about six to eight weeks. Oh, that's not bad. Colleen Bader is mm-hmm. the Ricky Interior's senior vice president. So you can get the furniture to go back in the office now. Now we got to get the people to go back in the office to sit in them. What Absolutely. Do you, what do you know about that? You're talking. You're an interesting pivot point on this because you're talking to those businesses. What are you hearing, and mm-hmm. how are people coming back? So we are hearing from you know so many businesses that they want to get their employees back in the office and they want them comfortable back in the office. The employees that were working from home got used to working on a sofa or, you know, eating in their kitchen. So many of our clients are coming to us to help with the full renovation of their spaces, um, you know, redoing their break rooms, um, adding some soft seating throughout the space so people can grab their laptop and go sit on the couch and, you know, have a quick meeting with a coworker. We are still, you know, doing Zoom conference rooms. That's still a big thing because I think the hybrid workspace is not going to go away. But from what we're hearing, people want their employees back in the office at least three days a week. What do employers need to do to encourage people to come back? Like, okay, put in more functional, newly functional furniture. What strategies do you offer them? Yeah, so one thing, if you think about it, if you're working in your home, you want natural light to come through the space. You were working in your den or your kitchen, and some of the older offices have, you know, private offices lining everywhere where the windows are. We're taking those walls down and opening up and bringing that light in 
and letting, you know, the open office space, the workstations be up against the windows and, you know, not as much private office along the window. Try to bring some light in. Uh, Also just renovating the interior finishes. Um, You know, I've known many people that I've had to go back into a space and it looks like, you know, 1990 still, and they don't want to work in that space. They want lounge seating and open collaboration tables and just kind of unique ways to work throughout the day. You make an interesting point. I mean, when you think about an office building um, and the offices on that floor, maybe the corner mm-hmm. office is where the, the the highest ranking member of that floor sits and they've got windows on both sides and then mm-hmm. up and down the corridor that faces the exterior, those people all have windows. And then all the schlubs, we all work in right. the middle. And if you said that the center core of that floor was going to be the offices and then mm-hmm. everybody else would have open space or access to the the bright windowed area, well, that's a yeah. complete reversal of the corporate culture. But I could see right. how that would be good for all the workers. It is. And even in the private offices that you put in the center of the space, you're having glass walls. So you're still getting light into the private offices. But it really does, I think there's been, there has been a shift of let's support the employees, not just um, the C-suite and the managers. Let's support the team that's, you know, doing the bulk of the work and give them a beautiful environment to work in. And a lot of that has to do with natural light. So that's one tool that we're seeing, you know, we're implementing with our, our clients. Talk about loneliness from home. People who yeah. are working home love the love all the conveniences of that, et cetera, et cetera. But they're not bumping into people with a cup of coffee in their hand. Talk about that. No. So uh, what we also hear, because I talk to many, many clients, is that you know working from home has its benefits, but you're really not connected to your coworkers anymore. Think about it. If someone started a new job in 21 and it's all via Zoom, you're not very connected to those coworkers. So you can get very lonely. Yes, you're on a Zoom call that you might, you know, be talking to your coworkers, you know, a couple hours here or there, but you don't get that going to the water cooler and talking about what everyone watched on Netflix last night or, you know, what you did with your family over the weekend. So I think that it's very isolating to work from home and, um, you know, bringing people back into the office, even in that hybrid model, I think actually will help people's satisfaction in their job more because if you're just, you know, doing your job every day and not really getting to connect with any coworkers, you don't have the job satisfaction that you used to have. And the swipes downtown is about 50%, about half of the um, Mm -hmm. um, employees are back in offices at least three days a week. Is that right? That is what I'm hearing. And I think this year is going to be a big push to get more and more back at least three days a week. Um, I mean, that's an improvement over 21. I think in 20 in 2021, I think it was probably only 25% if that. So um, I think each year we'll see a little bit more normalcy in getting back into the office. And once those people get adjusted to those commutes again and Um, You know, I love a good commute. (laughs) I commute from my office about 45 minutes, and I say on the way in, I'm typically listening to a podcast that's getting me ready for my day, and on the way out, when I'm on my way home, 
I'm, you know, listening to the radio and letting go of what happened during the day so that when I do come home, I'm home and I'm not, you know, worried about the work that, you know, I just left behind. So I think it's actually a better work-life balance to be in the office than to be solely at home. That's so interesting. I saw a story this week about some people, they were telling the story about how people miss the commute, miss the commute, yeah. and that some people actually to separate the work day from the live in the house day, go sit in their car and they listen to the radio, yeah. they'll actually take lunch in the car or whatever. That sounds crazy, right. but whatever it represents, it is what you just said, and that is that a better work-life balance might be if we have people going to work and then coming yeah. home. And who, yeah. who better than you to know a little bit about that? They make the office furniture that people go back to. Colleen Bader with, um, I want to get it right, it's Riki, right? R-I-E-K-E. Yep. Is that a family yep. name, Riki, R-I-E-K-E? It is. Um, he is no longer the owner. It was purchased, uh, we are women-owned now, Melissa Keel and myself. Uh, Melissa purchased it in 2020 from Todd Riki, but the business has been around almost 30 years. Uh, Todd started it in the Chicago land market 30 years ago. So, hmm. yep. Interesting story, Colleen. Good luck, continued success. Thanks for, thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. I didn't know this, but I guess if you are making your own beer in Illinois, you can't ship it to friends. You can the wine, you can't the beer. Is that the problem we're going to try and fix here, Ray Stout? Seven, you've been able to ship wine in the state of Illinois. Um, so the Illinois Craft Brewers Guild, on behalf of the 300 craft breweries in the state, has introduced SB 2193 to allow for the direct uh, to consumer beer shipping, uh, direct consumer beer shipping. Ray is the executive director of the Illinois Craft Brewers Guild. I'm a little surprised. I mean, why is it that one beverage is okay and the other isn't? They're very similar in terms of uh, consumption or alcohol content. Yeah, that's, that's the exact question that we're asking the legislature to fix here. Um, it's, it's a structural imbalance, which, which makes no sense on its face. And it goes back to a Supreme Court ruling um, in 2007, which specifically spoke to wine that many states have expanded to, uh, to apply to beer. Yeah. Well, I can understand that. Like the Californians, uh, the people in Oregon, wherever the wine is, it's all over. But you say Sonoma or Napa, they want to You go there, you say, I love this, mail it to me. Um, They can do that, and we could could go the other way. But I couldn't do that with a growler, huh? That's exactly right. And that, and that's, and that's what a lot of our brewers are facing now is that Illinois has become a beer tourism destination. And so thousands of folks are coming to this state and the city of Chicago specifically every single year, trying great beers and asking it to have, have it sent to their house. And those breweries have to, to turn around and say no, but I think this is even more relevant for the smaller, more regional breweries that don't have distribution across the state, where this would allow them to, you know, sell their products directly to consumers. So, you know, a brewery down in Springfield could send beer up to somebody in Lake County, for instance. That's a, boy, this is, boy, when I get to be king, I'll snap my finger and this will happen. What are the chances? What's the process? Where are you all on this? So right now the bill uh, has been um, introduced in the Senate. We expect the, a similar bill or the same bill to be introduced into the House um, today. Um, and then it needs to get uh, assigned to committee. And then we need to work through, work, through, work through the committee process 
You know, this is something that is widely popular with craft beer drinkers, about 60 percent of which um, who responded to a Harris poll said that they want beer delivered to their house. And, you know, 50 percent are more than 50 percent of those folks that they would spend over 50 bucks a month doing it. And so it's just a matter of working our way through the legislature, which is historically been a slower process when it comes to alcohol um, because of the uh, the beer distributors in this state have such political sway. I've only got a half a minute left, but um, okay, at least you've addressed that. Um, what's, the, what's the principal pushback? Why wouldn't somebody in Springfield want this? You know, I, I think there's a lot of misinformation when it comes to the potential impacts of this. You know, one of the things that people say is, hey, this might cost jobs, but in reality, in states that have already legalized direct consumer beer shipping, distribution jobs have grown. And, you know, using the experience of wine here in Illinois, um, retail jobs have grown, um, even though wine has been able to sh- be shipped directly to consumers since 2007. So it's a win for all, uh, all tiers of the distribution system and especially for the Illinois consumer. And those, those brewers, we love our local craft brewers. Uh, Senate Bill 2193, Senate Bill... 2193. Tell your legislators. Okay. And uh, do keep us posted, Ray. Interesting story today. Absolutely. Have a great day. Ray Stout, Executive Director, Illinois Craft Brewers Guild.